Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk at the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Aaron Elmore. I'm the lead pastor here, and wow, we are having church this morning. My goodness. Glad we showed up today, and he always shows up. We don't always bring ourselves fully, but when we do, we get to experience this amazing reality of communion with God, and that is what we're talking about this morning. Uh, We're in week two of this series on Psalm 139. It's an incredible psalm, and uh, this morning I want to begin with kind of another definition of communion. The English dictionary is not always a helpful guide uh, when unpacking biblical concepts, but sometimes it can get us going at least in the right direction. So I offer this to you from our dictionary. It says, Communion is sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. So it's, it's more than just a connection. Communion is a deep relationship, a committed relationship. And here, of course, we're talking about the highest order of that experience, communion with God, knowing who God is, and God knowing us, being in an intimate relationship with God. Now, I'll say on the front end that prayer is essential to that. How do we know God? We talk with God. You see the people in the Bible who had communion with God, they talked with God, they listened to God, God spoke to them. And prayer is not the only thing, but it's an essential thing to our communion with God. So part of the work we did last year is we developed a new mission statement. And with that, we refined what's called our strategy statement. So our mission statement is that we're a Christ-centered community for you, for Tulsa, and for the world. That answers the question, who? Who are we? What is our identity? We're that Christ-centered community. What do we do? We're for, because we serve a God who is for us. The second piece of that is the strategy. How do we do that? How do we get there? And it answers the question, where? Where do we go? In what environments will we become a Christ-centered people who are for others, for Tulsa, and for the world? And we've refined it to four C's because why not? I like to do that, and it makes it memorable. So this is pretty similar to the strategy we had before. Uh, We've just re-articulated it. So our new strategy is that we're a grace-filled place, For all kinds of people to experience communion with God, community with others, a calling to serve, and a commission to go. Those are the environments. Those are the places. And the first one, foundationally, is communion with God. And so that's partly why I've decided to call this series communion, just to familiarize you with that language. I think it's a good word that really expresses what we're getting at. It's not just a connection with God. It is communion with Him and is a deep knowing fellowship. So last week, Colin began the series. If you missed that one, you're going to want to go back online and watch it. These four really work together, as you'll see. And Colin began with this one big idea. The beginning of the psalm could be summarized in two words. God knows. God knows. He knows, and that's good news. And so he suggested to us a practical strategy for working that into our life, beginning our prayers with, Lord, you know. Whatever it is we bring before God, we begin by saying, Lord, you know. You know everything about this. 
And it's part of a bigger picture, the story of the psalm celebrates, which is of a God who knows all, but is everywhere and present to all circumstances and is in complete control of all of those things at all times. And yet he is a God who is personal. He knows us and he loves us as individuals. He's in control of our life. So last week builds into this week. The reason that God knows everything, God knows, is because he is everywhere to know everything that happens. He not only created all of the world, but he is now connected. His presence is felt everywhere. God is not bound by time and space. He is always ever present to his creation. Now, the problem with a big statement like that is we can't totally wrap our brains around that, can we? We are bound by time. Yes, feel that every day. We are bound by space. Yep. And so we can't conceive of this category of a boundless God. But what it can tell us at least is that God is very different than we are. Amen? He is bigger. He is greater. And even though we can't conceive of it, that's part of the deal. If, if your God can easily fit in all your boxes and you can understand this God, then that's probably not the true God because we can't conceive of all of it. But maybe in our minds we could imagine how amazing it is to know that there's this God who knows everything and who is everywhere all the time. This is good news. So we add to the good news of God knows from last week, the good news that God is near. God is near. God knows and God is near. Now, there's two primary ways that we experience the nearness of God. The first one is a kind of universal cosmic way. That's to say God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is sovereign Lord over all creation. But we also can experience God's particular and personal presence. Especially as his people, he promises a nearness to us. So David is celebrating and marveling at the greatness of a God who is Lord over all, and yet who is his personal and loving Heavenly Father. A God who knows everything that is going on in the world, but yet knows every detail about your life. A God who is ever-present to all of his creation in a cosmic way, and yet is personally near to you. It's amazing. The, the, the fancy theological terms we could throw on this are speaking of God's transcendence, his bigness, his otherness, but yet his imminence, his nearness. That's what scripture is talking about here. A God who is so big and so powerful and so other, but yet is so personal to us. Paul does a good job of explaining this tension in an apologetic speech that he gives to elites in the city of Athens. It's recorded for us in a book of Acts, chapter 17. And in this speech, Paul says this. He begins with the bigness of God, and then he gets personal. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. All-powerful, cosmic, big, ever-present, He gives everyone life and breath and everything else. But later in the speech, he goes on to say, although he created all people, he is not far from any one of us. He's personal. He is close. He is present. For in him we live and move and have our being. The nearness of God. So the way that we experience the personal presence of God today, living as Christians post the ministry of Jesus, 
New Testament, New Covenant Christians is a little bit different from the way that David, when he wrote this psalm, and believers back then, the people of God, would have experienced the presence of God. We have an added bonus. Now, the presence of the Holy Spirit was felt in the Old Testament. We read that. We see the Spirit is at work. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. But God, there's a trajectory to how he works and how he moves. So in the Old Testament, it will say that the Spirit was poured out upon David or poured out upon other judges, other kings, other leaders to accomplish some specific task for God. It's kind of a special pouring out of the Spirit that was unique. It seems even temporary. It's different from what Scripture promises, even in the Old Testament, that one day God's going to pour out His Spirit in a new and different way, and He will live within the hearts of believers and write the new covenant on our hearts from within. And we are now living in that time. And in that, if you are in Jesus, through faith and through surrender, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. David couldn't have envisioned that, I don't think, the way I read the text. I think it's different. I think we have a new advantage, and Jesus promised that. So my point being here, they understood the nearness of God. But I think today we have an advantage in that we can experience the nearness of God even in a new and fresh and heightened way because we know that his spirit lives within us. And we can experience that and know the power of God at work in us through his spirit. So David wants us to know. He wants us to find comfort in. He wants us to celebrate this amazing truth of a God who is near. He expresses it beautifully in the language here. He says, if I go to the highest place, you're there. If I go in the worst, the lowest depths, you are there. In fact, the language there even suggests their understanding of hell in the Old Testament. So he's saying, look, if I go to the heavens, you're there. Even if I go to hell and back, you are there. You're with me. You're in control of all of it. You're still sovereign. So I think we could abstract that out and say, it's like this. If you're having the best day or the worst day, if you're in a a great season of life or a terrible season of life, if you're running toward God or you're running away from him, no matter what season of life you find yourself in, God is near. No one can escape his presence. No one can outrun him. He says, if I go this direction, if I go this way, I can't outrun God. You know, we always say you can run, but you can't hide, right? You can't do either of those with God. You can't run from him. You can't hide. He is everywhere. But here's the question. Is that good news or bad? Because at a human level, let's be honest for a minute, that means God is everywhere. That means I am never alone. That means he sees everything that happens. Is it good news or bad? Well, we're going to unpack that this morning. Colin talked about it last week. He said the, the fact that God knows everything, that's really great. He knows everything, but yet, it's also a little bit intimidating. God knows everything, even my thoughts. There's a conviction there. Now, the tone of this this psalm doesn't suggest that David's trying to run from God. He's celebrating, he's comforting the fact that God is always with them. But I think we see in this reality that God is near both a challenge and a comfort. Challenge and comfort. And I want to walk through each this morning. I don't know if you're a good news first or a bad news first kind of person, but I'm going to start with the challenge and we'll end with the comfort. So let's start with the challenge. The challenge of God is near. That means nothing is hidden from God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The rhetorical answer is nowhere. 
nowhere. He's there when you think you're alone. You think about it, a lot of sin happens in darkness, whether literal darkness or figurative. We have stats on, on not all crime, but particularly horrible crimes happen more so after dark, in, in later hours, into the night and the evening. Because we think we can hide. And think about metaphorical darkness. If, if we think no one's watching and we think no one will find out, we're more likely to do something. We, we think we can get away with it. We delude ourselves. We pretend that no one will know, no one will see. This won't hurt anyone. We commit sin in the darkness. Well, the truth is, God is there. But we try to hide. This has been the human instinct from the very beginning. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 gives us a theological foundation for everything else that happens in the Bible. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, and what do they do? They hide. They try to hide from God. Genesis 3, 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the, cool, in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What a tragic moment in the Bible, in human history. We were created for communion with God. And sin causes us to try to turn away in shame, to try to hide from a God who loves us. But you cannot hide from an all-present God. A couple of scriptures here. Jeremiah 23. It says, who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Same idea in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4, 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Wow. So the universal presence of God means that even when we think that no one is watching, God is. That's the challenge. When you're taking a test, you're, you're working on an assignment, and you're wondering whether you're going to be honest or not, or whether you're going to cheat or take a shortcut, God is there. When you drink too much to try to escape your pain, God is there. He's there when you're filling out your tax return. He's there when you're scrolling the internet. He's there when you're having that affair that you think no one knows about. He's there to observe every jealous thought, every grudge you hold, every single sight you behold. He is there. That's the challenge of the nearness of God. You cannot hide from God. But here's the really, really good news. You don't have to. You don't have to. Because the God who is always with you is for you. And that is the comfort of the nearness of God. The challenge is he's there. He's always watching. Does that bring conviction? Absolutely. But we're not condemned by the reality that God sees everything about our life. He is always there in every moment, in the darkest hours, when we make the worst decisions. He is there, but we don't have to run and we don't have to hide because the God who is always there is for you. And that's really good news. Amen? He's there in the dark hours. He loves you. He's for you. He says, verses 8 through 10, whether I go to the highest place or the lowest place, you're there. 
when I'm in the best pace in life, when I'm having a good day or a bad day, you're near me. I try to run from you, and you are still near me. Your strong right hand, your hand of protection and guidance is upholding me, even when I'm running away or running towards you. It makes me think about the parable of the prodigal son. In that parable, the son uh, runs away. He blows his father's inheritance. He makes really horrible decisions. He insults his father, and he runs away and basically destroys his life. And there's a certain moment in the text where Luke writes, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. Now, we could analyze that, and we could say, well, he just sort of has this uh, existential moment where he you know, thinks, oh, I think I'll get my life together. This is a really bad idea. No, I think what's happening there is that this person in the story represents us when we are running away from God. His sovereign hand is still at work in our life. And our previous experience with him and our knowledge of his character and knowing the goodness and grace of God is what draws us back to repentance. So don't think for a minute that that's us just coming to our senses. No, it's God drawing us back. Because even when we try to run away from him, if we go to the highest place or the lowest place in our life, he is near. And nothing can separate us from the love of God for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So he goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, Even if I'm walking in darkness, the dark is as light to you. There is no place so dark that your light cannot shine in and break through and change it. It's like Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest place, you are there with me. You are my great shepherd. The light of God shines into the dark spaces of our life. And this is also why I think this is kind of a side point, sort of an implication of the text, not what David was thinking of in this moment. But I, but I think the implication of this is that This is why we're allowed or able to confess our sins. First to God, because we know that God already knows. He was there when you sinned. He doesn't just know about it. He was there. But it's also why we can confess our sins to other believers in Christ. Now, they will not always love us as graciously and mercifully as God. They're they're not that good. Nobody in your life. But we have an opportunity. The book of James says there's a special healing that comes when we confess our sins to other believers believers. Because the truth is they have their own stuff too. And by bringing stuff out of the darkness into the light, it begins to lose its power. Bringing it into the light of Christ. So is the nearness of God good news or bad news? The universal presence of God can either be incredibly comforting and reassuring, or it can be a source of great fear and judgment. And the question is, do you know him? And do you trust him? Do you know God and do you trust him? Because if you know him and you trust him, then fundamentally your experience will be that God always being present to you is a good thing. It is good news. But if we don't know God and we don't trust in God, then the idea of an ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God is a, is a scary thing indeed. Because we want to be in right relationship with that God. He's all-powerful. He's also good. But he's holy. And he's made a way for that communion to happen with him, for us to be restored. But we have to surrender ourselves to that process and to that work in our life. Isaiah 43, verse 2, the prophet says, 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze. Do you notice the language there? It says when, not if. It says when. When you go through the dark waters, when you go through the fires of life, he will be with us. He will sustain us. He will hold us. We will still have to go through those hard things. We're not promised that we get to escape from those. But he says, when you go through them, I will be with you. And that makes a difference. Friends, I can tell you for me, these, this is not just words on a page, letters on a screen. The fact that God is near is a reality in my life. I feel that. I don't always see it as clearly as I should, but I believe I've experienced this nearness of God and that would be my hope for every single one of you is that you would experience the nearness of God in the good times and in the bad. That you will know that God is with you. We're living in a time right now, research is showing that there are increasing amounts of anxiety and depression and loneliness and and all kinds of social emotional, mental health concerns. And, and a lot of that was going on before COVID hit, and the last couple of years has just blown that up for many people in our world. There's, there's just something about our circumstances and the way that we're trying to do life right now that's not working too well for us as a people. Can you, can you feel me on that? It's just a lot about it's not working. So where do we go from here? I wish I had an easy answer for you. I don't have an easy answer for you, but I have a real and honest and biblical answer. I believe that in this text, in Psalm 139, Scripture offers us specific comfort and specific challenge that will help us to experience increasing measures of God's peace, of his shalom, of his wholeness in the midst of this present darkness. And so I think, first of all, we need to know and experience the comfort that God is near. That that's real. That that means something. And I hope that you believe that. I hope that you experience that. And if you don't, I pray that you'll have the faith to pray that God will reveal himself to you and his nearness to you. And if you don't have the faith to pray that, I pray that that you will have the faith to ask God that he would give you that. And even if you don't have that, I'm praying there are people in your life who will pray that on your behalf. I pray that you'll know the nearness of God. And here's the cool challenge. That's the comfort. God is near to us. But if God is near, it also means that we have a ministry of nearness to others. Right? Because that's the way it works. All the attributes of God, there are ways that we can reflect that. That's what we were created to do. We're created in the image and likeness of God to show the world what God is like. That's what it means to grow in Christ's likeness, to become like God. Now, Of course, when we talk about the presence of God, none of us can be universally present everywhere all the time. We would not want that. That's a heavy burden to lift, right? But we have a particular presence. We carry the presence of God with us, and we were created to be in a nearness relationship with other people, not just a casual relationship, not just cheering for the same sports team. Those things are fun, but a real, deep, genuine nearness. We have a ministry of nearness. I think it's one of the primary resources that we have to experience God's wholeness is life, is that we need people in our life who 
who are going to remind us that God is near and who are going to embody that reality to us by saying, God is near and I am near to you. I am committed to you. A faithful presence, a consistent presence to love you and to point you to Jesus and to pray for you and to challenge you and to encourage you. We need that. We were created for that. And I think it will take us a long way down the road to healing, to know that, to know God's nearness and to become that reality in other people's lives. And I think the truth is that some of those people are in this room right now. There are people in this room who have a calling and a ministry of nearness to you. So I encourage you, seek that out. Open the door to that. Be willing to be vulnerable enough to allow people to be that expression of God, to be the presence of Christ in your life, to be open and to seek the nearness that we were created to experience. God is near to you. We, your church family, we are near to you. Let's lean into that truth and experience this ministry of nearness. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a God who is in control and you have proven yourself time and time again. And every day it seems like as we wake up and it feels like the world's out of control and it feels like our lives are out of control, God, we can trust and we can know that you are credible, that you are the God of history, you are the God of today, and you are the God of our future. You are over all things, and you know it all, and you are present to us. I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I don't know what each and every one of them are facing uniquely, but I pray that they will know your nearness to them in a tangible way that makes a difference in their lives. God, that that would shape us into a people who carry your presence into the world. What a privilege, what a joy. God, we know surely you are with us always to the very end of the age. We believe that, Lord, but help us to believe it. For your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen.